In November of 2019, my former podcast partner and I, Susie Ko, got up in front of a room of over 300 HR professionals at a Disrupt HR event to call out our profession on its lack of diversity. We said that the face of HR is a 47-year-old white woman, and it may not have felt great for the audience to hear it, but the truth is the HR profession often lacks invisible diversity and women that look like Susie and I rarely get to see ourselves represented in leadership. It felt great to speak our truth and call for our profession to do a better job of practicing what we preach. But it was also painful to recognize that my own experiences navigating through my HR career have been incredibly lonely, especially the higher up that I got. By any stretch of the imagination, I know I'm a privileged human. I grew up in Canada, a country chock full of opportunities for those with ambition and the sheer will to succeed. I may have grown up in a working class home with immigrant parents who oftentimes struggled to keep things afloat financially for my brother and I, but they instilled in us the value of education so much so that going to post-secondary was never not an option. I dutifully went to school, completed a master's level education, and found myself accidentally stumbling upon a career in recruitment that I was blessed to excel through. I then found myself in a leadership position at a director level for an organization I loved and one that I felt incredibly blessed to be a part of. But it often felt like accidental happenstance ending up at that level. I know I worked incredibly hard. I know what I had to say was important because it was different. I know that my personal beliefs on disrupting traditional recruitment to bring more humanity into the experience for all involved was heard. I know my passions spoke for itself, but I looked around and I didn't see myself represented very often, if at all, in the leaders in my world. And fast forward to today, and I continue to see the elevation of female leaders as a priority in a meaningful way in many of my corporate experiences. I see organizations I have worked for in my career have gotten the memo on advancing women, but what I rarely see is a focus on inclusion that represents the many layers that make up true diversity. What I rarely see is the acknowledgement that perhaps we haven't gotten it quite right yet. We don't have to intellectualize the data to see with our own eyes that our organizations are filled with good intentions to advance women, but rarely are they filled with the lens on diversity of thought beyond gender. And full stop, I believe that diversity efforts should not just stop at advancing white women. And the question that I continue to grapple with is why do so many women of color stop rising in the ranks? Is it because we cannot be what we cannot see? Why do women like myself have to feel so alone because there are no role models and no intentional efforts to acknowledge that there are systems in place that actually prevent us from reaching the top through no fault of our own? And the acknowledgement that perhaps our ways of showing up in the world are incredibly different because we're doing a lot of learning and unlearning to assimilate. And trust me, I know the assimilation game very well. 
I am a Canadian and as Canadian as they come, but much of it has been by design. I may have grown up in a household with immigrant Pakistani Muslim parents and was raised with extreme intentional effort to connect and engage my cultural roots in all parts of my life. I was educated on my roots. I was immersed in my roots in the walls of my home and within my religious community. But I was also the kid who febrezed my clothes when going to my retail job to remove any ounce of Pakistani cooking smells out of my clothes. I was the kid who absolutely hated that her father drove a taxi cab, feeling like he exemplified every negative stereotype of my people that I was so embarrassed about. And I remember my moment of truth of being different, something that all people of color remember, vividly recalling the moment of being called a Paki on the playground in elementary school, that first moment of you're not one of us hitting me like a ton of bricks. And I always thanked my lucky stars that I had a birthday close enough to Christmas that afforded me the opportunity to never have to tell anyone my Muslim family didn't actually celebrate Christmas, having gifts to speak of that wouldn't give away how non-Canadian I really was. And fast forward to my early 40s and my corporate world life, and it still shows up. I have a name that's often butchered. My race walks into the room before I do. And I've learned to assimilate in such a way that most people I work with don't know that I'm Muslim and don't have a clue of the things I do on a daily basis just to fit in. In my time in leadership, I felt incredibly alone as one of the few female visible minority senior leaders in my organization even amongst the most progressive of workplaces and the best of intentions and amongst the most mindful of leaders and coworkers, I often felt like an outsider. But I'm also lucky in that I grew up in a household and in a community where women had voices and where education was of paramount importance. I have a mother that has an advanced education, but whose experiences in Canada outside of our household didn't encourage her courageousness to move past her imposter syndrome. So I work every day hard to do better than she was able to do. I truly believe that much of the success that I have seen comes from this really unique and innate sense of boldness that many of the women of color in my circles of influence and many of my counterparts haven't been afforded. It's complicated, and the issue is often rooted in actually seeing ourselves and the ways in which we navigate the world acknowledged and the space created for us to be our diverse and multifaceted selves. And I know I'm not alone when I say I hate being relegated to special interest groups and not being represented or acknowledged or a space opened up for me at the table. I find it incredibly difficult to see leaders hiring and advancing in their own likeness, and I am committed professionally and personally to speaking to ways in which we can all think about diversity of thought in all of its forms to ensure that those with diverse experiences and voices have intentional acknowledgement of the uniqueness and the opportunities to advance in the same way we intentionally advance white women. Each of us comes with a unique lens on how we see the world, and I'm always committed to speaking to how we enable and celebrate that in the workplace. But it took me getting into a leadership position to realize all of the ways in which I hadn't even acknowledged how difficult this was. Not seeing representation at the top 
never hearing conversations on equity and equality, moving past gender, and never having the space to question why. Instead, I, like many women and people of color, internalized, looked at my own weaknesses and created stories in my head about never being enough. And I'm here to tell you all of the ways in which I have actively had to practice moving past these things to navigate the experience of being an only in leadership and beyond. And let me tell you, it is not easy, but I hope what I have to share provides some food for thought. First, I want you to recognize that imposter syndrome is a societal construct and not something that you need to own. The environments that you're a part of are designed to uphold white supremacy. There is a reason why you don't see diverse representation at the top. It is too easy for companies to fall back on gender equity and leave out the rest because the rest requires them to really look at the ways in which their systems, processes, and policies are baked in leaving things status quo. It's extremely uncomfortable for companies and for leadership to admit that they have spent centuries upholding a system that makes them comfortable. And it's not just in our perceptions. In some eye-opening research done on women of color in the STEM disciplines, Dr. Keisha M. Thomas distinguishes between leaders' explanations and perceptions of the glass ceiling phenomenon and those of the women of color who have actually faced and broken those glass ceilings. In her research, Dr. Thomas found that leaders cited factors like not having enough women of color in the talent pipeline or women of color not being in those pipelines for long enough or not being able to find women and women of color who were committed enough without conflicting interests to advance. Can you imagine? <laughs> and even noted that the lack of the right kinds of experiences to help them advance into leadership were available. And this, in contrast to the women of color who actually navigated those experiences firsthand, citing things like male-dominated cultures, white-dominated cultures, poor climates for diversity, restrictive stereotypes, and lack of mentors and networks along with the lack of the right kinds of experiences to help them advance. Further, Dr. Thomas goes on to distinguish what it actually takes to break the ceiling. And according to leaders, they note filling the pipeline, developing committed women, retaining senior women who are willing to sponsor and mentor female protégés, versus the actual experiences of those women who have actually broken through, which included insight on needing to exceed expectations and to adopt a style that put others at ease. Let that sink in for a moment. Work harder than everyone else and do things in a way that makes them feel comfortable. It's no wonder we are all so exhausted. Second, I want you to look for like-minded community, whether virtual or in real life. I am a proud introvert, and one of the ways I find meaningful connection with people without having to put myself in awkward networking experiences is through social media. There are so many women of color that are navigating experiences of being an only, and access to them is only a message, DM, or a comment away. I found incredible depth of connection and community this way, and I can't emphasize enough the power of the experience. 
there are communities you can access and places you can find yourself in where you won't feel so alone. You won't feel so crazy for the feelings you're experiencing, and it will go a long way in validating your existence in spaces that have never been designed for you. Side note, I'll include some links in the description box of this episode of incredible and awe-inspiring Black, Indigenous, and women of color that I find solace and community in, as well as links to community organizations that create very safe spaces for women like us to connect. Third, don't stay silent. I learned at a very young age that your sense of self could easily be defined by experiences and situations completely out of your control. I want to take you back to the Shazia before I was 10 years old. (laughs) Goofy, gregarious, always looking to be the center of attention, extroverted, unabashed, and unconcerned with the opinions of others. And then I turned 10 and started having to navigate experiences that felt foreign in ways that I couldn't understand. Starting my period, gaining a significant amount of weight in what literally felt like an overnight experience, and then having a mother who didn't know what to do with the adult experiences I was navigating as a 10-year-old child. It shaped so much of the quiet human I identify as today because I felt like an inconvenience and suddenly found myself outside of the norm of what most 10-year-old kids should be navigating through. I was taught at that age that staying quiet and under the radar was the best way to show up in the world so I wouldn't make people feel uncomfortable. And it's taken nearly 30 years of unlearning to move beyond that, to strike the balance of quiet and comfortable to active and uncomfortable. I now see it as a responsibility to use my voice and my lived experience to draw attention to the ways in which the world needs to step up to support women of color and anyone who is disadvantaged at the hands of white supremacy. I have been turned down for job opportunities for fear of conflict with leadership, have been reported for conflict of interest for promoting this podcast at work as a part of shedding light on the lived experience of women of color. I've had to force my way into places that weren't created for women that looked like me. And I continue to do so because I have a depth of privilege as a first-generation Canadian woman who also happens to be cisgender and able-bodied. Yes, this approach has certainly limited opportunities for me and closed doors in spaces and places that aren't open to my kind of activism, but it's also created a strong sense of confidence in my own voice in validating my experiences and in finding a sense of worth and purpose in using my life for service. Your experiences are valid and worth speaking to. You don't have to do it the same way I have. You don't have to be in HR or in leadership or in the work of diversity, equity, and inclusion to make it meaningful. But leaning into your story in safe spaces makes it so that those experiences don't go unheard and that those experiences don't happen in isolation. They also help you find your voice in a way that is authentic to you, that allows you to step further into yourself and your identity without it being about making it comfortable for those around you. You may have more to lose than I did and that I do, but generations of talent that are coming after you deserve to have workplaces and spaces that are truly inclusive. And your pain deserves to have purpose. Navigating being an only is 
exhausting, isolating, and almost forces you to confront the things that make you uncomfortable about your lived experience. But you're not alone, and you deserve to have those experiences seen and heard, and for spaces to be created where you can thrive in spite of the things that have systemically held you back. You deserve to glow and to take up space with your beauty, power, uniqueness, and talent. And you deserve to do it with a community of like-minded people cheering you on along the entire way. I always hope you find that here and that you have a plethora of other spaces where you can authentically be you, be seen, and be heard. If you haven't taken a moment, I would love for you to be part of the conversation with me for the long term. Hit subscribe on your favorite podcast player and tune in every two weeks for new episodes and conversations. If you're so inclined, I would love for you to leave a review or for you to connect with me to tell me how I can be of further service to you. My contact details are always left in the description box of each episode And as always, I am so grateful for each and every one of you coming along on the journey with me, for trusting me, and for giving me all of this space to be my authentic self. I can't wait for what comes next.